3: The
4: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday
0: morning, the 28th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. What does the United Kingdom want to do over the next two weeks? It must decide what it wants before the 12th of April, or it will crash out of the European Union by then. It was to leave tomorrow, as you know, on the 29th of March, but has had that deadline extended to agree on a route that it wants to take. This morning, the only thing the UK is saying is no. Yesterday, MPs said no to eight proposals. No to no deal. No to membership of the Single Market and Customs Arrangement. No to remaining a member of the European Economic Area no to negotiating a permanent and comprehensive UK-wide customs union with the EU no to the Labour Party's plan for a customs union and a close alignment with the single market no to revoke Article 50 call the whole thing off and remain in the European Union no to a public vote to approve a Brexit deal before it is ratified essentially a second referendum and no to seek a managed no deal Brexit if an exit agreement cannot be reached. They have also said no on two separate occasions to Theresa May's deal, that is, no on 10 occasions. So yesterday, the Prime Minister said she would step down if MPs said yes and agree to her deal. Essentially, she's saying, back me and sack me. Let's talk about this with Sinn Féin MEP, Matt Carthy. Good morning to you, and thank you for joining us here this morning. And it's the DUP today that's saying no.
5: Yeah, if anybody ever doubted the influence of the DUP um, their characteristic for saying no has now become the mainstream in Westminster. I joked to somebody yesterday afternoon that Theresa May had said that she would resign once her deal has been passed in the clearest indication yet that she's going to be around for a very long time. Um, but on an on all-serious level, um, I think people would have been rightly exacerbated by the machinations in Westminster last night, as you say, to reject... Essentially every possible scenario that Brexit can take um, without a clear indication at all as to what the prospects um, for securing some form of managed um, process that doesn't impact negatively on Ireland especially, um, on their own country also Mm. and on the wider EU. So I think we're back to where we were. We have essentially three scenarios that will work out over the coming days and weeks that Theresa May's deal is passed, that we move towards somehow a second referendum, or that we have a no-deal um, scenario. And all three of those prospects are as likely as the other, and they're all as impossible as the other, at, as things stand, including the prospect of a no-deal scenario. So we're moving closer mm. to um, a really dangerous proposition for our country and that means that we now need to get ready to have some very big conversations as to how we deal with the outworking of all of that and part of that will have to be the constitutional future of the north in relation to what union they okay. want to be part of. Do they okay. want to be part of the dysfunctional but, UK? But before, before you move to
0: that, though, let me just ask you, though, are there not a, a, another two possibilities? One is uh, that they decide to revoke Article 50, to call the whole thing off on the 11th, or that they get more time to allow for a general election?
5: There are possibilities, but without um, having a clear position of Parliament. I was speaking to, um, as it happened, both a Labour and a Conservative MEP yesterday, both of whom told me that neither of those parties are particularly um, excited about the prospect of a general election. Mm. Bizarrely, um, considering the, the the way the arithmetics are working in. Uh, in the um, House of Commons yeah. at the at the moment, so yes, I, but I would and I would include the prospect of revoking Article Fifty in its entirety at, at, at this nine, stage. Nine um, with the second prospect
0: on at nine o'clock on Thursday night, the eleventh of April, uh, when doomsday is preventable, uh, that becomes a, a far more realistic pro- proposition for them, does it not?
5: It's so difficult to know, um, Michael, and I think the lesson in all of this is that, um, as we have been saying for um, some time now, the answers to Ireland's issues pertaining to Brexit are not to be found in Westminster. It's clear that there are a number of political games being played um, as it stands. Mm. And to me, I think one of the three options, and I include the revocation of Article 50 in the second referendum um, category, if you like. Um, But at the same time, the difficulty that you have in relation to uh, revoking of Article 50, if the expressed intention is to bring it back into play at some stage in the future, is that that is going to create an awful lot of ill will within the European Union. Um, And it's possible that you would have a a Westminster election. I always was of the view Mm. that you wouldn't have European elections in Britain without a Westminster election. I'm not so sure about that now, having spoken to the MEPs that I mentioned yesterday. Um, And the truth of the matter is that confusion has reigned from the very outset in relation to the Brexit process. And the reason confusion has reigned is because from the very start, the British government have never rightly considered the implications for Ireland and especially for the North. That is the crux Mm -hmm. of the problems that we now have because Theresa May told her conference when she was first elected, that she was going to take Britain out of the customs union, that she was going to take the north of Ireland out with it. And at the same time, she was going to avoid any hardening of the Irish border when everybody who had any semblance of understanding of either trade or Ireland or the European Union would have been able to point that that is a contradiction that cannot be squared Because the two things are are completely incompatible. And from that moment on to now, we have yet to have a single sensible or realistic proposition made by the British government Mm. as to how it would deal with and address those issues. And instead, we have the situation now, the ludicrous situation mm. now, where the one party in the North that campaigned for Brexit, that is a minority in the North, is actually being able to dictate um, against the Are best of, uh, and, I mean and the
0: statement that's, that's an interesting question, is it? Is it not? Uh, because there is a sensible proposal, I think, to your mind, and that is uh, the agreed deal, Mrs May's deal, which includes the backstop, uh, the best of the bad options, if you like, or the least worst of the options. Yep. Uh, but... Uh, Has the DUP got that power? Uh, Can Mrs May not get this deal uh, approved without their support?
5: It's possible, I'm told, that um, there could be some um, number of Labour MPs that would be up for backing Theresa May's deal if the alternative is no Brexit Mm. at all. A number of difficulties have come into that scenario, most particularly the fact that Theresa May went out of her way to um, um, disengage and to um, frustrate and to, quite frankly, insult those MPs in her infamous speech at this stage Mm. um, in Downing Street last week. Whether or not that can be reconciled, it certainly wouldn't be the first time that British MPs have done one over, as they would see it, on their so-called partners Mm. in the north of Ireland, and many would have warned the DUP um, that if they were expecting... Um, british politicians to um sacrifice their own um their, their own self-interest at the behest of unionists in the north and they were in for a rude awakening but as the numbers stand at the moment it appears that the main blockage between the withdrawal agreement which as you say is mm. the least worst option from everybody's point of view certainly from the people in the north of ireland's point of view And um, and getting that through is actually the DUP as it stands at the moment. So all the she
0: can win over the Tories. She just needs ten MPs, doesn't she?
5: Well, she needs no. Even if the DUP are on board, because there are a number of Conservative. Remainers who won't back her deal.
0: Mm. But if she, if so she can if win that moment... In that over,
5: scenario, she will need some Labour MPs. I mean, but we're seeing that, and change, and
0: but we're seeing that change by the day. Uh, Boris Johnson is on board. Jacob Rees-Mogg is all but on board. He has put in that caveat uh, of uh, needing support from DUP. the DUP. Yes. But, but I'd imagine that's as flexible a position as the position he had a couple of days ago was. Uh, and he's moved... Some of the way, I'm sure he could move the rest of the way, or I'm sure it's, it's right to imagine that that's at least possible. And it's possible to win over the Tories. And if that is the case, then she just needs the support of 10 MPs. And fair enough, she may not be able to govern and it might spark an election, but it may conclude in an agreement on Brexit.
5: Yeah, the difficulty we have is that the likes of Jacob Riggs, Moggs, and Boris Johnson um, are looking at this through their own power games as well. So the reason why Jacob Riggs Moggs changed his position this week initially was because he thought that Theresa May's deal was going to get through, and he wanted Mm -hmm. to be on the right side in terms of positioning himself for the leadership contest, likewise with Boris Johnson. Mm. The reason he is now... Or if it, back didn't, or and if it didn't get through, EAP. he said,
0: but if it didn't get through, he said, you were going to stay, they were going to stay in Europe.
5: <clears throat> yes, well, this is, the, this is the, the complications in terms of the narrow margins that are at play in relation to the House of Commons. So it goes back to, again, two things... One was Theresa May's disastrous decision to call an election, but again, that's British politics and that's up to them. Mm. But crucially, it goes back to Theresa May's decision to play from the very outset to the hardest wings within her own party and then subsequently to the hardliners within the DUP so that those people who she now needs to coerce or to um, entice to support her Mm. deal are people who she has been alienating from the very outset. So she has to undo two or three years of very damaging rhetoric and manoeuvring in relation to those people to try and bring them on board. I hope that she does, because I do believe, even at this stage, in relation to providing the certainty that's required, in relation to dealing with the outworkings of um, of, of Brexit, which is going to be bad in any case for Ireland, that the withdrawal agreement and the backstop contained within it, is the least worst option, but as I say, but there's really three options. Case, if this if this confusion continues to reign, mm. then it, it, there will come a point quicker than many people may realise that we have to have those big conversations in relation to how we deal with these issues at mm. an Irish level, an island of Ireland level, because quite clearly, um, whatever happens with regard to this deal, even if it is to be um, got through by some miracle, mm. in the aftermath, we're dealing with the future relationship between Britain. And the EU. And again, we're going to be back to a number of these games once again. <clears throat> and we're at a disadvantage in all of this, because whenever we're discussing this, we're a small island country mm. on the edge of Europe. That country that's leaving the EU stands between us and the rest of Europe. Um, and all of the difficulties that, mm. that that would present in any case are compounded by the fact that... That we're a divided island and and that part of our country is being dragged against its own democratically expressed wish.
0: But in terms of the stalemate now, uh, I mean, you've outlined uh, how ridiculous all of this is, because what we're trying to do now is agree to sitting down and making an agreement which is the Future Relationships uh, Agreement. Uh, And that is all it is. It it doesn't set out the terms of the relationship. It's just agreeing to make an agreement and we're not getting to that stage at all. But as things stand, it seems as though there are probably three options. One is that Mrs May's deal will be passed. Two is that the United Kingdom will stay in the European Union. And three is that they'll crash out. And I imagine that them crashing out is the least likely option.
5: You would hope so. But I would say on the face of it now, it appears that all three of those options are impossibilities when you look at them singularly. The difficulty is that one of those impossibilities is going to happen. So as I I said at the outset, it's likely that it's likely that. Um, a no deal scenario would happen as much as either of the rest of them. So, do, do,
0: do you mind if prepared. I, do, do you mind, Matt, if I just advise our listeners? If you are scratching your head at the moment, don't worry, you're not stupid. That is what he said, and it somehow does make sense. Sorry, <laughs> go, ahead, go go ahead. <laughs>
5: no, and that's and that's the um, the feeling here in the European Parliament. Mm. I'm speaking to people across the board from across Europe. It's amazing that you're dealing with MEPs. Um, in some instances, for which Brexit isn't the most important thing that they're dealing with right now. Mm. Excuse me, um, Michael. Um, But at the same time, as they're looking in at what's happening in Britain, they are completely dumbfounded that um, a country so large that has Mm. such a history, some here would believe it has a positive history, obviously. Many of us, from an Irish point of view, would disagree with that. But they are absolutely stunned at the scenario that has evolved and that you have this situation... Uh, regional party as the British would call it in the terms of the DUP um, who are a minority within that region as they would call it um, who are having such a strong influence against the majority of wishes from the part of Ireland that they mm-hmm. come from. So, um, Just, just a,
0: another uh, way of looking at all of this is uh, how impossible these options are because we've spent a, a lot of time talking about how impossible Mrs May's option or her deal might be to reach an agreement on uh, and that might prove to be the most impossible of all even if it is the most preferred uh, come uh, the 12th of April. Uh, because she's been told she can't put it to the House uh, again. Uh, and John Berko, the Speaker of the House, reiterated that yesterday.
5: Yeah, again, another bizarre twist in all of this. And again, I think part of it has to do with the fact that Westminster, for many of the people who are there, is a theatre in which they can espouse and develop their own political ambitions, even when you're dealing with something as fundamental as the future of, uh, of all of Europe, probably the mm. future of the world um, is going to um, be impacted by the outworkings of this. And yet you have people playing games. And as I say, listen, the Westminster has its, has its um, your rules and regulations and all the rest of it. Mm. And I respect that to the degree that that's what the British people have put in place as their political system. But again, coming back to the crucial point, from an Irish point of view, we need to get to the point where people are concerned. I know a lot of people are almost enjoying looking at this soap opera that's playing out, but the lives of your listeners are going to be impacted most probably negatively by what happens at Westminster level. And that's why we need to now be coursing a path by which we can actually set out our own future together mm. without the hindrance of the British Parliament because it's clearly not a positive influence. When it Do comes you think to the Irish
0: British Parliament will be voting again this week, though?
5: It's possible on Friday. I'm hearing other reports that if Theresa May's deal is put to a vote and she manages to get round um, the Berco, um obstacle mm. that's in place, that it might actually be early next week. Um, again, who knows? I've long learned not to make predictions on your show, Michael, because the chances are by the time your programme finishes this, mm. uh, this morning yeah, the that hell. there will be further developments that will have completely undermined my prediction. What I do know is that um, there is no good deal in terms of Brexit from an Irish point of view that the withdrawal agreement as it's currently there is the best that we could possibly get in the short term and therefore we need to seize on it. And if that doesn't happen, well, then we need to have those big constitutional questions and no political party and no sector can shy away from that because um, I've said to you many occasions, I think the discussion around a united Ireland has accelerated to a degree that many people um, don't even yet realise and that Brexit has forced that conversation to be mainstream, but we're going to have to move it even to the centre of our political discourse in the event that a no-deal scenario unfolds over the next number of days and weeks.
0: OK, we'll be watching it closely, obviously. Thank you for joining us this morning, though. Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin, MEP.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. On LMFM.
0: Now, just 8% of Irish public spending occurs at local government level and your local council, as a result, has been disempowered. This is according to research uh, under the title of Democracy Works if you let it by Dr Mary Murphy of Maynooth University, University and it is the backdrop to a campaign called More Power to You, which has been launched by the SIP2 Trade Union and the force Trade Union. Union, it's calling for directly elected mayors uh, to be put in place and to restore and expand town councils, which were abolished in two thousand and fourteen. Adrian Kane, SIPTU Public Administration and Community Division organiser, joins us now. What's the trade union interest in this specifically, Adrian? M-
2: morning, Michael. Um, well, we had the launch of the, the campaign um, yesterday, and I have to say it was it was very well attended by uh, across the entire political spectrum. But trade unionists, um, as well as all your listeners, are people who live in the local community. Obviously, uh, as Sip 2 and Forza and also um, Connect. Connect are involved in this as well. Um, we, we live in the, the local community. We deliver the services to people. We know what the problems are. Um, and also our members have been uh, up against us in terms of it kind of, uh, as Mary Murphy had delivered in her report yesterday, talked about the four dead hands uh, over um, local government in this country. And one is this centralising tendency. The other is more power going to the unelected people. Um, we've also then had huge outsourcing and privatisation over the last 20 years or so. Mm. And then on top of all that, you've had this austerity programme over the last number of years. And even mm. if you're to look at your own council in Louth, There's now 15% less staff than what there were employed in 2008. You no longer have the Dundalk or uh, Drogheda Borough councils have been stood down. So there's a huge loss of power. There's a huge loss of autonomy and there's a dilution in the services that are being provided by people.
0: And there's, because there's many people uh, who, uh, in Loud and indeed uh, Mead, and uh, I'm sure across uh, the country, will never forgive uh, the Labour Party for abolishing uh, those town councils.
2: No, and I, I think uh, even in fairness to uh, Brendan Howland, he, he said that that, that was the, the worst decision that that government had made. And uh, I, 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 I definitely think that was a, a bad day For government uh, in in this country. And we are calling for, and we have a number of pledges that we're looking for candidates to sign up to. Um, But one one of them is the the restoration of town councils. But it has to be a revamped version as well, in which you've had this continual drift away uh, of uh, functions from town councils, even if you, you know, at a cursory look of you, waste, water, roads, housing, driving licenses, third level grants. It's an almost endless list where, in other countries, the opposite is happening. And I, I've been on your show before, Mike, and I talked about this phenomenon across Europe of remunicipalisation of services that had previously been privatised coming um, coming back in-house. Um, and that, that's the, the direction that we need to go. We're looking for champions and people who would... Who who believe in local democracy? It always strikes me as strange is that nearly every TD in, in Dál Éireann begins their life as a councillor. They know what the problems are, but once they get into into the national parliament, they they, they seem to forget about. Um, the local councils are having any interest uh, of divesting power there. Well, and Mary Murphy made a point uh, yesterday. A, 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 lot of,
0: a lot of the politicians would argue otherwise and say that they haven't forgotten and that they're very focus, focused on local issues and the work of local uh, authorities but there's many people who would say exactly what you've just said uh, about the Labour Party and when it not just uh, assumed office at a, a national level but when uh, it uh, coalesced with Fine Gael in government it abolished the councils. Is it a coincidence uh, that the launch of this campaign coincides with uh, the Labour Party bill to restore those councils?
2: Well, it, it, it's it's not a. The, 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 it's an independent. Um, um,
0: so it is a coincidence.
2: It was pure, pure coincidence in terms of uh, where the the Labour Party, are, are, are attempting to restore the Town Council. But this is something that has been in gestation for the last number of months um, between ourselves, um, Forza and, and Connect. But I, I would just there was a point I wanted to make there in terms of uh, Mary Murphy, who is the author of this uh, w- report, drew some link between the, the abolition of the dual mandate and uh, an increased... Um, divestment mm. of functions then to central government over that period of time uh, as well. Okay, and but, the dual but,
0: mandate is when politicians could be co- both a co- councillor and yeah, a TD yeah, or a senator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But, but yeah. uh, I mean, I, I think the, the statistics as you quoted at the, uh, just at the beginning there in terms mm. of in Europe the average spend um, by a government via local government is around 23%. In Ireland, it's at 8%. In Denmark, a similar kind of landmass to us, it's at 64%. And there was actually a a study done in 2014, which again Mary Murphy referenced yesterday, called the Local Autonomy Index. And we ranked the the last in Europe in terms of um, how many councillors or representatives that we have per population, Mm. the the level of autonomy, the level of, uh, of functionality... Um, what spend is at local level, etc. You know, so there's a and lot just, of work to be done.
0: Just on the issue joined. of uh, uh, mayors, uh, directly elected mayors, uh, is there a risk that we'll be giving more money to councils to spend on politicians who will be making decisions for political purposes?
4: I, I
2: think in terms of the the town councils and looking at the, the, the mayor situation as well, People liked their town council, and they were effective even from the point of view of pester power. That you saw your town councillor walk in the street, and you could get on to him about the, the the pothole not being filled, or whatever. And you need that sort of accountability, but they also need the power to be able to to in, invest um, locally. And I think having a, a a mayor, and rather than the the power being in the the what's called the the, the, the CEO of what used to be, in old money, the county manager, etc., that's a good day. And that means that people do have to have real power. But it also means that councillors have to be responsible as well and maybe take tough decisions too. But they're held accountable from the point of view of, um, you know, being up for election every number of years. I made a point yesterday and said, like, local government came into this country in 1898. It's arguable that in 1898, there was more power divested to local uh, 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 authorities under British rule than, than what there has been under the Republic, albeit with a much narrower, narrower uh, electorate, obviously. But, okay. you know, th- th- this centralising function has to has to stop because typically the debate talks and said, oh, we're a small country, couldn't we do this centrally? Mm. As opposed to the, the principle on which Europe is built of subsidiarity. And when you, you look across the water, where people felt that they had a lack of sovereignty, what what the way that we should be going as a functioning republic is bringing power as close to people as possible, that people can hold people to account, and they can see them walking down the street every day.
0: OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, on foot of uh, the launch of uh, the More Power To You campaign. That's Adrian SIP2, Public Administration and Community Division Organiser.
4: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
0: on LMFM. Now, a 45 year old man who was alleged to have been a member of the IRA was found guilty yesterday at the Central Criminal Court of raping two teenage boys at a Republican safe house in County Louth in the early 1990s and in 2001. We're joined by Maria Cahill uh, to talk about this. Good morning to you, Maria, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, I understand uh, you've been speaking uh, to the two men who were teenagers at the time. They were raped by this man.
6: Good morning, Michael. How are you? Morning, uh, first of all, apologies to okay. you and your listeners. I have a, a bit of a virus, so I'm hoping my voice holds okay. out. Yes. Um, but yes, I have spoken um, throughout the case over the last number of years, um, yesterday and again this morning. Um, with the victims and I have a message from one of them um, he says he would like to thank everybody um, in the local area and also wider afield who have supported them um, in their search for justice and he is deeply appreciative of that and I, I just want to pay tribute to both of them um, for their incredible bravery in not only coming forward in the first place but also in seeing this case through to conclusion and you know They have got a result now, and I know that they are hopeful that sentencing will bring some measure of closure for them. But I think coming forward in the climate that they did um, to take that case, which has been ongoing for quite some time, a number of years, and um, standing up. I mean, I know that they'd suffered from intimidation um, in their local area, from smears and attacks verbally, from attempts to... I suppose try and put them under pressure and they saw the case through um they went on the witness stand they were put through a trial by the perpetrator and um you know i, I just want to say to both of them um that they are two very brave individuals and that their actions in standing up um, will hopefully
0: help. Well you know uh, better than most uh, what it it means to come forward as uh, somebody who's been uh, the victim of a sexual assault let alone to have been raped let alone to have been raped as uh, a teenager. Uh, These uh, particular people were very young. One of them was just 13 or 14. Uh, The second guy I think was 17. So we're into the realm of paedophilia Uh, and we're also then talking about the fear that people may feel uh from members of the IRA something that you can certainly testify to Maria Cahill uh, we're not allowed to name the two men no. uh, because of legal reasons but you know who they are as you say you've been speaking to them a lot of people know who they are uh, and you contend that Jerry Adams knows who they are
6: Absolutely uh, there's no shadow of a doubt and he will also be aware of the perpetrator's identity and I do want to make this point because um, people know how Sinn Féin have reacted on this issue over the last number of years, I think their actions, the party as a whole, um, have been despicable in the way, the corporate way in which they tried um, initially when I went public in 2014 to try and smear me in an effort to damp this issue down, and that um, it was they were unable to do that. Um, mostly, you and I have to, to thank um, the members of the wider public who saw through the attempts to fire smoke balls all over the place and to try and and stop victims from speaking. Um, Gerry Adams has been active on Twitter last night. He's the TD for the Louth constituency. Um, This case happened in his current constituency. Uh, He will be aware of the identities of those people involved in that trial. He hasn't condemned the actions of the perpetrator in this case. He hasn't sent solidarity to the victims. And I think it is incumbent upon him as a public representative, first and foremost, to do that and also call on other victims to come forward to report their abuse and to reassure them that when they do, that they will not be smeared, that attacks will not be directed towards them. And that victims will be given every support conceivable to allow them to take their cases through the court, because that is the arena and which cases like
0: this should be dealt with. Okay, and um, we've heard, I don't want to link this uh, to any other story that we've spoken about on the programme previously because there are legal restrictions, but we've heard of similar stories of sexual assaults in IRA. Uh, safe houses and that there were a lot of people involved or obviously in organising these safe houses uh, and setting them up uh, and uh, the same people becoming aware of the allegations that were being made, members of Sinn Féin, uh, some members of Sinn Féin and the IRA on occasion and people out in the community for that matter. Uh, Are are there questions as far as you understand it, again I'm not relating it to stories we've heard previously but are, are there questions as far as you understand it in relation to this story specifically for people uh, who were not brought before the court?
6: Well yes and again I want to be very careful about the legalities and sensitivities in relation to that. In relation to the wider issue I suppose which takes it off this particular case I think that in any case where there are allegations that a Republican has abused people in a safe house and if there were any actions or inactions by other people that absolutely those people have questions to answer. And I don't think that in the the general issue that those questions have been answered sufficiently. I think we have seen denial after denial, actually, in relation to a lot of it. And a lot of adults have responsibility here um, in relation to this issue. There are a lot of people across the country who have been involved in similar situations, I suppose. Um, And that that is the, the mildest form that I can put on it. Um, um, and in the aftermath of these cases who have said things publicly or who have denied things um, in an effort to try and um, I suppose paint victims as liars and absolutely those people have questions to answer but they also have responsibility and if they had a measure of conscience around them they
0: would take responsibility for those actions. Responsibility and action, I I gather, as well as uh, the person who led the Republican movement uh, through this time period and uh, the sitting TD for the constituency where this happened. Are, Are there questions for Gerry Adams now in terms of what action should be taken?
6: There will always be questions for Barry Adams as far as I'm concerned and I base that on my own personal experience once I went public and people will be aware so I'm not going to rehash my case or or link it to this um, in any way. Um, But I know that my case had an effect on other people in relation to people coming forward um, to try and get help, to get support. I still have people coming through to me with um, allegations of cases and all of those allegations have been passed to either the guardy or the PSNI, or in some instances both, um, Jerry Adams will always, as far as I'm concerned, have questions to answer. He has, a, again, in my opinion, failed to take proper responsibility or to be absolutely candid in relation to his knowledge on the issue. For example, when I went public on the 14th of October 2014, you will remember that the Sinn Féin party, um, as a whole, online and offline and on the public airwaves. Um, really went on the offensive um, at a point when I was probably at my most vulnerable um, in the public domain. And, you know, they effectively tried to call me a liar. And a week later, Gerry Adams wrote a blog where he admitted that the IRA had, in his opinion, dealt with... Um, he said they had expelled or shot sex offenders. Clearly in this case, um, there is no allegation, as far as I'm aware, that either that man was expelled or shot um, so there is another example of a case which doesn't tie in with what Jerry Adams had written in his blog. Um, but there were other, you know, quotes from mm. people like Marilyn McDonald, for example. While she said that people who abuse children could not call themselves as Republican, she also, and uh, quote for quote on radio said i believe that the people who volunteered to the ira were decent yes i do now can you imagine what that is like as a sex abuse victim at the other end of the airwaves, listening to a statement like that and how that would make you feel if you had suffered abuse at the hands of an ira member it's incredibly hurtful but it also has an effect i suppose when quite a lot of people are saying things like that from within the Sinn Féin party where victims lose hope you know where they don't believe that their voice is going to be heard and in this case these two boys and that's why I'm saying they have been yeah. incredibly brave. Both of them have seen this through to the end. Both of them have got guilty verdicts and I really hope that the Senate brings them closure on the 29th uh, but bo- I also hope that the Sinn Féin party gives them closure in relation to all the to absolute condemnation of the actions that were perpetrated upon them in the round um, you know, by this uh, Republican uh, and, and bo- by other bo- people bo- on But bo- bo-
0: both of these children, Maria Cahill, woke up on different occasions, to a paedophile, assaulting them and raping them. And part part of the defence, it seems, was uh, that uh, at some stage uh, this man says he he was having a relationship with one of these people. Uh, The two men uh, have obviously been vindicated. Are, Are you concerned that these allegations were known to other people Uh, known to members of Sinn Féin, and I asked that question because it was an IRA safe house, Uh, and those allegations were not passed on to the authorities as we have heard alleged in other stories?
6: Well, look, again, I um, am treading the bounds of legality here. Let me say that if that is the case, if, uh, and again, it is very, um, it would be incredible to think that people were not aware of allegations of this nature. Out prior to this court case coming um, and prior to this um, case actually running that people may well have been aware of these allegations and those people have the answer for their action or inaction on this case. But let me tell you uh, in the round from my own experience that the, you know, mm. When I went public, I was deluged with people coming forward with snippets of information about a range of different cases. And I passed, I think, around. Sorry, that's my uh, parking meter sure. going off. Someone was walking in front of my car. <laughs> right. um, you know, but I, I was deluged with people coming forward with information. And again, that information was passed to the Gardaí And we are talking about a significant number of alleged people who, who alleged perpetrators of abuse who had perpetrated quite heinous actions on children. And the thread that linked all of those um, cases, or the majority of them anyway, was that they did them um, as Republicans who felt that they could get away with those acts because they felt, um, in my opinion, that they had cover to do so. Mm -hmm. That the name of the IRA would mean that people would be too frightened um, to come forward. And certainly in my own case, you know, my own abuser uh, was an IRA man and that was a significant factor and why his victims did not report him sooner, you know. And then we have the added element of the Sinn Féin party and their action when people did come forward, and it wasn't easy to stand up and be counted and to use my voice, certainly. I know it wasn't easy um, for these three individuals to take their case forward um, because there was an added element there where people, in an effort, in my opinion, again, to protect the Republican movement as a whole, um rather than taking responsibility for the issue and trying to bring other victims forward in a climate where they would feel comfortable to do so. um, They upped the ante, they went on the offensive and they tried to silence people. And I think that is absolutely despicable.
0: Well, listen, thank you for talking to us today and it's nice to speak to you again uh, and uh, indeed uh, for joining us on the programme.
6: Thank you, Michael. And can I just say one final thing? Um, Because the one thing that was very important for victims like me was people like yourself and other radio stations and TV stations covering this issue. Because if you hadn't given those victims a voice, then it would have been very, very difficult for other people to come forward. And the last message that I want to send, that if anybody is sitting at the other end of this radio station who has been in a similar situation to myself, or these two men who haven't come forward to get help, that they should do so, and that they should feel comfortable to do so. And I certainly will make it my business to make sure that those people are given every support available to them.
0: Maria Cannell, thank you very much indeed for talking to us thank today. You.
4: Michael Reed on
0: LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good
7: morning, Michael, and we're still talking about it. Yes, it's Brexit. Oh, OK. <laughs> David Frondon Dog says, the DUP, in his opinion, an absolute disgrace. They have no regard for the people in the north who will be badly affected if there's a no-deal Brexit. The backstop is not going anywhere. What part of this Does the DUP not get, says David. Tom says that the DUP are taking a lot of flack over the stance on Brexit. But what about Sinn Féin? Maybe if they'd taken up their seats in Westminster, at least they'd have a vote and they'd be representing the people uh, in the North.
0: Hmm. Uh, Would they be she- representing the people who voted for them not to
7: take up the seats? is in the dog says, am I understanding this right, Michael? Mm? The MPs voted not to leave the EU without a deal, but they've rejected all deals so far. How on earth is all of this going to be resolved? Seamus is running out of patience. He's running out of hope, Michael.
0: Is he? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've got an answer. Yeah.
7: <laughs> he's looking for comfort from you today. No, Any comfort? <laughs> no comfort
0: at all. No, no, not not unless it's a, a deterrent.
7: You should celebrate yourself every day,
8: but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
3: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
0: Urgent or something like that. (laughs) Okay.
7: Uh, John also phoned in on the same topic. And John says that looking at the shambles, as Mm. he calls it, in the UK Parliament, he's glad that they're going, glad that they're leaving the EU.
2: He says, because Mm. what
7: type of politicians are they? And he thinks that when you look at what's going on, all he can say is, God help the people that live in the United Kingdom. Mm. Because he says, if they do leave the EU... How on earth are they going to run that country?
0: Okay, well, careful what you wish for. I won't explain that. I just hope uh, you don't live to realise what I mean by it.
7: Okay, moving from that then to your interview with Adrian Kane, there, just in relation to enhancing the powers of uh, local authorities. Mm. Uh, Rob was listening in to the interview and he feels that town councils should have a greater say. He says that they should be able to decide where the funds are allocated and be able to invest locally. Because after all, if you're living locally and in the area, you know exactly what's happening. Eugene from The Dog listening to the discussion. I fully support the re-establishment of services through the local authorities. We all know the problems with uh, some privatisation of services like the bins. Back when the council was in charge of them, there was no problem with dumping. Now that they've been privatised, people... Many people can't afford to get rid of the rubbish, so dumping is a big issue. I think that the council can make it more efficient, mm. he says. Okay. Uh, Mirage from Drahada says that she'd love to see directly elected mayors. She thinks that the way mayors are elected are a joke because at the moment it's all about packs and power. That's what it seems to her. And she says, not necessarily, maybe, the best person for the job. And she thinks that there would be much more engagement if there were directly elected mayors.
0: Okay, yeah, And more power uh, which uh, I think is uh, the objective so that decision making would be done in a different way. Can we go back to Brexit uh, for a moment and uh, let's try and make sense of it uh, because I think uh, people enjoy the verdict as delivered on a daily basis by uh, the British newspapers uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we tend to look at them regularly these days. The Financial Times headline on its front page uh, this morning is May offered to resign in final plea for rebels backing on Brexit deal. That's fairly straightforward. The Daily Mail says May sensationally agrees to quit and bid to deliver Brexit deal. Farcically, MPs fail to agree on any other options. Boris backs her but as DUP say, they still won't budge. Will her sacrifice be in vain? The Daily Express says, what more does she have to do? May vows to resign is uh, the headline on the front of the Times. The Daily Telegraph says May falls on her sword. The end of May. May 22nd according to the Daily I Mirror. Like that one. That's yeah. a good one, alright. Uh, the Sun PM vows to go in last Brexit bid, but DUP still refuses to be budged. I'm off. Now back my deal. Uh, the Metro vote Brexit and I'll exit. Back me and sack me. That's the I take on it. The Guardian says Parliament finally has its say. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's just eight O's. Uh, no's, oh, no, I, I think oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I think they, they left out two. The Daily Star, I think you're going to like uh, the front page headline of the Daily Star today, uh, Marie. It says, sex cures hay fever. Uh, and inside, <laughs> they have top tips on how... To get hay fever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and also on the front of uh, the Daily Star today is a free Brexit swear box kit uh, that uh, is highlighting a, a kit that you can obviously fold out and put together and uh, ask people to put money in it if they mention the B word.
7: Oh, God, we could do with that in here, Michael. <laughs> We'd make a fortune. Yeah,
0: absolutely, wouldn't we? We could all go on a
7: holiday. <laughs> yeah, so that's Co- what they, come May, when that's, it's all happening.
0: That's how the British press are looking at it all today.
7: Okay, well, can I go back to directly elected mayors? Yeah. Because um, Tony emailed us in, and Tony says. On the matter of directly elected mayors holding such power, I'm afraid we have proved time and time again in this country that individuals with such influence can go badly wrong. Imagine what might happen when you would have one person, depending on local popularity for re-election and with the possibility of corruption, how this could end up. And leaving that aspect aside, the proposal includes a salary of €130,000 plus all the expenses and, I'm sure, a chauffeur-driven car. This is not New York City. This measure is not necessary, and for a country with a combined population less than Manchester, we have a political system that seems to want to keep adding layers of expense on the already hard-pressed taxpayer. Okay. So Tony, not impressed. Nope. Can I go to one or two comments, if I can, on the posters? We were discussing yesterday with Chancellor Marianne Butler, uh, Raymond says, believe it or not, posters have proved to work where people cannot read or write well. As you will see, the picture on the poster usually matches the picture on the polling card. James says, people know who they're going to vote for. I think it's just a serious waste of time and money. Catherine says, even if they restricted it, Michael, to one poster each on the main routes into the main towns. But the problem is they have them on every street and every poll. And according to Catherine, it's completely overkill mm. and unnecessary.
0: Mm. That's an interesting idea. actually. It is, isn't yep. it? Restriction, mm. maybe. Yep. Mm.
7: So that's um, them. I have one other one on that I think. Oh yes, yep. Derek says that they'll put put up posters, Michael, and then they try to play the green card to get a few extra votes. Why have councillors anyway? Maybe we'll just have the civil service. It will be cheaper. Mm. <laughs> That's what well, he says. What's the green card? He says that they'd play the green card, like climate change and all that, to try and get votes.
0: Oh, the Green Party played the green card. Sorry, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is uh, because we were speaking to Marianne That's Butler right. of the Green Party. Sorry, I just didn't click there at all. Okay, yes. Got that. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You have you it. Indeed.
7: All right. And then finally, Nigel <laughs> says that he feels bill posting is no different than fly tipping.
0: Visually polluting. Oh, now you've offended uh, some members of the Green Party. Uh, I would think following our conversation yesterday. Okay, all right. Thank you for that. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight.
4: Michael, Michael Reed
0: on LMFM. Now let's uh, return uh, to uh, the violence uh, that has become commonplace in County Louth in Drogheda. As you know, there's an ongoing feud between criminal drug gangs, and uh, there is ongoing problems in Dundalk for the same reason. It appears as though uh, the two towns are being. Uh, are under siege because of the problems in Drogheda and the feud that's taking place between the two gangs. And uh, the doll heard yesterday specifically uh, a story about one particular family in Dundalk. We'll hear some of the interaction now befe- between Sinn Fein TD for Louth, uh, Gerry Adams, and the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan.
3: Last week I visited one family in Louth who are quite simply living in terror. Over the space of six months, this family has paid a drug gang a total of €3,700 for debts allegedly owed by their son. The drug gang has targeted this family in a sustained campaign of intimidation and threats and attempted extortion. They are now demanding another €8,000. However, this family is demonstrating remarkable courage in the face of threats and is standing firm and rejecting the drug gang's demand. When I visited their home, they were clearly very anxious and their fears are well founded. Over St Patrick's weekend, their home was petrol bombed while they slept in their beds. And luckily the impact of the bomb breaking a window broke the family and they extinguished the fire before anyone was hurt. The family are working closely with Garda-Chukana and they have praised Ngardashe Khanna very highly. Other families have also been targeted. Other homes have been attacked. Cars have been destroyed. Families have fled their homes. And last Friday I spoke to the Chief Superintendent of the Light Division and I want to commend Ngardashe Khanna for their actions and their efforts to date. It's my belief that most of this intimidation can be traced to two drug gangs in Drogheda where local families are subjected to similar threats over drug debts allegedly owed by family members. I want to commend the neighbours and the friends of the family I visited. And I want to commend the family for taking the stand that they have taken. It's no mean thing. It's a matter of huge courage that they are standing up to these thugs. And can I say that the people of Laos will not be intimidated by these gangsters. But it shouldn't be left to the community, and it shouldn't be left to Angarda-Chukwana. Do you agree, Minister, that the state has a duty to protect and support this family? Will you urgently look at the provision of additional resources for the life division of Angarda-Chukwana to support the work of its drugs unit? And will you consider introducing or supporting legislation to ensure that proof of identity is required for the purchase of mobile phones. As you well know, mobile phones are used in the illegal drugs trade and many of the threats issued to the family involved and the family being victimised in this case are by mobile phone. So imagine had they not been alert to the petrol bomb. Imagine if some of them had been killed in that attack. We would be treating this as a national crisis. So I'm asking you, uh, Ira to support the family, to support those who are standing Thank against you. these drug gangs and to make sure that in garda have all the support they require. Okay. Margaret. Minister for Justice, please. Thanks, Deputy Adams, for raising this important issue.
9: Uh, as the House will be aware, both Minister of State Stanton and myself have addressed both houses in relation to the situation in County Louth in recent months. Indeed, Minister of State Stanton updated the Shannon in February about the steps being taken... By and Garda Siakana to neutralise the ongoing feud. Uh, I know my party colleague Deputy Fergus O'Dowd has also been monitoring the situation closely. Uh, as the Deputy will be aware, I visited Drahada Garda Station myself last December. I was very impressed with the robust response that had been put in place by the Garda authorities in the region. There's a dedicated policing operation in place, Operation, Op- operation Stratus which specifically targets the ongoing feud in the Drogheda area. This operation consists of high visibility patrols and checkpoints, days of action, covert policing initiative, targeting specific individuals. These operations are supplemented by personnel from the regional armed support unit, drugs units, division uh, road policing units, and have resulted in the seizure of considerable amounts of cash firearms, and controlled drugs. I can assure Deputy Adams that the Guardi will continue to tackle this problem head-on in order to ensure the safety of all of the citizens in County
3: Louth. This family have been told to pay up an extra 8,000 euros or they'll be killed. Their home is barricaded in a makeshift uh, way. Yes, they are getting the support and the attention of Ingarda Síochána, and they command and they commend and Garda for that and they do have the support of their neighbours. But we all know that the selling, the distribution and the use of drugs is a major problem in our society. And we know that some addicts engage in criminality to raise the money needed to feed their habit. And we know that once they're hooked into that, they're used by these uh, gangs uh, in a a very scurrilous uh, and cynical and clinical way acknowledge Kian Korla the seriousness of,
9: of the situation and the facts as outlined by Deputy Adams. Um, I, don't, I don't disagree with any of the facts he's laid before the House here, and I want to assure him, indeed, I want to assure the House um, when dealing with any complaint uh, of drug related intimidation, uh, offering advice on the issue, offering their expertise on the issue, offering protection on the issue. Regardless of your corner, make sure to afford the person uh, or any family which may be subject to threats the best level of advice and support and guidance and security. Uh, indeed, can I say that confidentiality and security of the person's concerned are paramount for Angarda Shia Kana when dealing with reports under the Drug-Related Intimidation Reporting Programme. With regard to recent criminal activity in Lao, as referred to earlier, Garda Siakana has put in place a policing operation to prevent and detect and mitigate against any further escalation of violence between the groups involved. Deputy Adams refers to a multi-agency programme and again I agree, liaison is ongoing with the appropriate stakeholders including the local authorities and TUSLA and the HSE and everyone in this House wishes them well in their endeavours. I want this issue resolved Uh, And I want again to be clear uh, that the Gardaí will make every effort to ensure uh, that issues like have been outlined by Deputy Adams are brought to a halt and those responsible for criminal activity, be it extortion, intimidation, threats or otherwise, will be brought to justice.
0: That's the Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan speaking in the Dáil yesterday. He was responding uh, to the concerns raised obviously by Loud TD Sinn Féin's Gerry Adams as you hear they're raising in particular the case of uh, that family who have barricaded themselves into their home so uh, that uh, they can keep the gangs away who are insisting uh, that they pay another 8,000 on top of the 3,400 or they'll kill them. Uh, it's a pretty dramatic story despite how violent the situation has been uh, and how violent the feud has been in particular in Drogheda between uh, the drug gangs uh, and we did ask Jerry Adams uh, to speak to us about that particular programme or about that particular story on the programme uh, this morning or at least we uh, attempted to make contact with Mr Adams uh, to talk to us about that particular story we also, I should uh, say that uh, we made uh, an effort Uh, and uh, asked that uh, Mr Adams would speak to us uh, about uh, the sentencing yesterday of uh, a 45-year-old man for the rape of two young boys at an IRA safe house in County Louth. Uh, We haven't uh, been responded to by Gerry Adams, uh, but just to make clear that, uh, obviously, Mr Adams is welcome to speak to this programme on his local radio station, as uh, the TD for Louth, at any stage.
4: Michael Michael Reed
0: on LMFM. Now we'll talk uh, about uh, Brexit again with Rona Murphy, who's uh, the president of uh, the Irish Road Haulage Association. Good morning to you, Rona, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Before we talk uh, about Brexit, though, perhaps uh, we could talk about gender briefly, uh, because as a woman who heads up the Road Haulage Association, you're bucking the trend, it would seem. Uh, Eurostat is saying the transport sector is not gender. Balance. Just twenty two percent of women in Europe are working in transport and Ireland close to bottom of the league. Why is that, do you think?
8: Yeah, well, you know, there's a myriad of reasons. I, I, I have never felt, Michael, that I'm booking the trend, but however, look at I I know many, many women in transport and I often feel like we are fifty fifty. I don't see the same divide. The only place I do see it is actually driving of the vehicles. Now, I would say it's probably not a job that a woman would see herself doing. However, it is certainly a job that any woman can do. It's not. There's nothing to fear. I mean, the driving can be thought. Mm. Things like changing punctures can be done by commercial companies. Many of us, even the men, don't do that anymore. Mm. You know, but there, something significant is happening today. One of our corporate partners, Circle K, are actually open opening a new services on the N11. It's actually this type of feature that's missing, particularly in Ireland. At the moment, if you go from Donegal to Dublin, there isn't a pit stop available for a woman to take a toilet break. Mm. Men obviously function differently and it's not as significant, but it is a significant feature for a woman. And then the first one you come to on the M1 actually closes its doors to the shop and to the operations at 11 o'clock at night. No? So, okay. s- some facilities are just not there. Mm. We're catching up. Now, I know there's several other stations due to open around the country and all that's going to serve as well there is the maternal factor when it comes to ladies getting involved in transport um, th- the fact that we're in Ireland we have a 50-50 system mm. we've got 50% of our fleet operates abroad difficult for ladies to be away particularly if they have family Is that
0: what you well, mean by the maternal factor that women raise children? Uh, from that perspective uh, uh, right, well, okay. well
8: generally mm. they, you know, it's, it's more difficult for the woman to leave the family in that mm. regard but that's not to say it is not a job that precludes women it's a Mm. job I can give you the experience. Mm. There's nothing in it that a woman can't do. What
5: about absolutely.
0: strength? What about strength and the, the weight of freight? I mean, when you get to the other side, are you lifting boxes off that are perhaps no. too heavy for some people?
8: No, very, very little of that goes on. We do manual handling courses, which you probably have to do even in the radio studio. But the reality is that no, everything is done by forklift. It's done by pallet trucks. If you engage help, but no, there's nothing that I would say a woman. Mm. Uh, there's absolutely. Not see any different anything that I've ever okay. done in the industry you know, I've, I've often stood back and let a man change a puncture. It, it's been, it
0: didn't mean I couldn't do it. It's been suggested to me that I, I would do a manual training course on handling some of the guests on the program, but that's another day's work. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what 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 about security? Uh, is, is it safe for a woman uh, to be out in remote areas in the dark of night? As is quite often it, it,
8: It's the reality of that is that nobody is safe. Everybody has to be responsible for their own security, and it's something that we're experiencing for the last. Number of years, with particular to the migrant issue, we we do fear for our drivers and we have to be very vigilant in how we train them to deal with this issue. Mm. However, I've always found in the realm of being a woman in the industry, I am. It's overprotective absolutely that all the other drivers will look out for you, but certainly there is a significant amount of self-reliance in that you you use your head, you don't expose yourself to those types of problems you know, and uh, particularly I would say in Ireland we have issues, even in the service stations here at night time, you know, you've got to be Mm. vigilant where you park, you've got to secure your truck and load and most importantly yourself.
2: Yeah,
0: well I'd certainly think about it and think about it several times uh, before I did something know that myself. It's, uh, as you say, the same issue for everybody, regardless of gender. But are employers misogynistic? Uh, Is uh, there discrimination against women? Are they taken seriously when they apply for jobs?
8: Oh God, absolutely. It has never been like that in our sector. I would say the reality of today is man, woman or child because we have a huge driver shortage. It's experienced across Europe. It's increasing Mm. actually. It's getting worse. But no, there is absolutely, if you can drive, you can drive. We're not misogynistic and certainly the industry isn't.
0: Okay. Interesting because women are far better drivers as we all know. So um, it's hard to understand uh, why they're not more involved in transport. uh, But perhaps Uh, that will change as a result of issues like this. But where they'll go and how they'll get there is obviously at uh, the heart of the ongoing Brexit debate. Uh, What did you think of what Michael Gove had to say yesterday about uh, goods being checked and tested uh, somewhere in continental Europe as a, a way of getting around a hard border on the island of Ireland?
8: Well, look, it's pretty much as much as Michael Gove knows, it's been displayed <laughs> readily in Westminster that they just don't know their job. And it's very unfortunate for us because outside of the UK we'll be the most affected. I take heart in the fact that it's displayed the world over now that they do not know what they want after rejecting just about every proposal that was put on the table last night. Mm-hmm. The one thing we, we can see is heavily endorsed with a huge majority is that what they don't want is a no deal. It's very, very possible now that Theresa May will get her deal over the line. The DUP are certainly one big obstacle. That's no surprise there. So it comes down to very much the deal an election or another referendum. Mm. And I think if, if there's either of the latter two, you're going to see uh, quite a delay. And at, our, at this stage, we are also absolutely fatigued by Brexit talks, negotiations, preparations, that I would actually relish a two-year wait at this stage because we're, we're, we're it's mind-boggling what we're going through um, from our mm. own business perspective, trying to pre- prepare for a, a scenario that we don't know what it is and entertaining the circus. Uh, you
0: know, uh, it's, still, a, it's a, not it, enjoyable anymore. No, in an ideal world, you'd be more of a star reader than a guardian reader because the star has decided to lead today with hay fever uh causing problems with sex or something and they're advising on how to get hay fever uh, but they also have on it a, a sin box and they're making available a sin box for people who use the B word uh, whereas The Guardian on the other hand has run out of space for the amount of nose it's published on its front page.
8: And it's funny how things turn around because if you look at the star and the mail they were the instigators of it and, and a bit like uh, uh, Boris Johnson they've done a 100 or 360 degree U-turn I mean Johnson uh, and Gover probably looking at being the next leader. There's no doubt about it. I've always said that if Theresa May gets her deal over the line, she'll resign. And and possibly because the woman is absolutely exhausted, give or take whether you like her or not. The woman has. She's, she's stuck to her guns. She's stuck to what she has believed in as regards the deal. I, I'm grateful for that because I do believe that particularly for our sector, our employees, their mental uh, uh, health going forward that the backstop is the only option for us. As bad as a no deal would be, I never envisaged it and I don't, like it would be utter chaos for us but it would be detrimental to the UK and they do not understand or realise what would ensue. So I think if the deal doesn't go over the line we're very much looking at a delayed Brexit
0: people are saying uh, that there could be an accidental crash out uh, there could be also uh, could also be a, an intentional crash out uh, because other than uh, leaving without a deal uh, there is no option uh, for them uh, they're going to be the laughing stock of europe the laughing stock of the world
8: well i think they pretty much are that at the moment it's not that anybody wants to be laughing it just i mean last night displayed it all but i think it also brought it home to them as MEPs I, yeah. or MPs yeah. I think the reality is the fact that they cannot make a cohesive decision as to what to do, that yes there's always the possibility of a crash out but it's my belief that it won't happen I think they have got to get their act together but you can see the frustration levels at EU level are wearing mm. down, MEPs are trying to prepare for what's an imminent election, I mean it's not that far away It's they all have huge amounts of people to canvas so that's a much longer canvas than any national or local election. Mm. So they're very much looking to draw a line in the sand here and they've given them till the 12th of April. I know the crash out on the 29th, that deadline has gone. Our new deadline is the 12th of April. And I think that in, bet- bet- you, in the very near future with the promise of Theresa May's resignation you're going to see the deal over the line and if you don't it's one of the
0: latter two options. Well that's it then. Uh, so- are, are allowed to vote on it of course. Uh, I mean this is uh, the hard that she has to cross it. Well,
8: it, I think Burko can be overruled if there's a will that whether I'm she sure puts it can, there or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if it's a case of everybody, obviously somebody convinced him to make that statement, and equally, I'm pretty mm. sure he can be convinced to change his mind. He's he's a Remainer, by the way, mm. uh, so I think uh, in the light of it, certainly he doesn't want a No Deal he would likely go for the backstop hmm. deal.
0: They could stay uh, indefinitely, they could revoke article Wouldn't 50 and call that the whole be thing wonderful. Off. <laughs> I just what, don't what, what, think what, what, they
8: have the wherewithal or the intelligence to do that. Well, no. Oh, no, 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 no.
0: no, 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 that's completely unfair uh, because I've been thinking about this now. That that's a, a very interesting word you've used because I think you're talking about some of the most intelligent people uh, in the United Kingdom who are proving that no matter how intelligent you are, you can be very, very stupid.
8: Well, for a good reason. I mean, if you look at the controversy that has been surrounding Jacob Rees-Mogg's portfolios and the money that he's made, one would have to ask, was there a good reason behind holding out on Brexit? You know, I mean, that's a very cynical attitude, but it has yielded him some wonderful results in the millions. So I don't know. I I think... uh, fundamentally you don't have the same level of intelligence or practicality that you have here in the Irish government by no means oh. uh, the last night displayed that the division after 2 years of ongoing possibilities and brexit on the agenda with nothing else really much going on there hasn't been one indication as to what is required mm. The UK's uh, Brexit, or the UK's referendums, by the way, are not binding. So to say that this is the will of the people, it's an indication. I would have thought last weekend's petitions of over 5 and 6 million people and a million people taking the time to turn out, that says a lot too. It is an indicator. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you have to say, Mike... What good is a mind if you can't change it? And I think with the information that the English population has now, they're changing their minds. They're beginning to see that no deal is an absolute catastrophe for them in the long and short term. And they're probably seeing some of the short term results already.
0: And... As you say, the next cliff edge is uh, the 12th of April. What do you think will happen on the 11th of April? Will it have been decided by then or will we be looking at late on Thursday night, the 11th of April, them looking over the edge of the cliff and deciding whether they should jump or pull back?
8: No, I think you've, even, you've heard from many of the MEPs probably over the last 12 hours uh, over what happened last night saying that certainly they have never envisaged a no deal and in essence that Theresa May's deal is now better than the no deal option. The only people who appear to be sticking to their guns on this are the DUP and look, do we need the DUP at this stage? I think you will bring enough Labour MPs over mm. on the basis of a deal or a no deal. They're really the only two options
0: but it forces uh, an election, doesn't it? Because
8: well, it will force an election. Yeah, I mean, yeah. her—it's going to force an election. I think pretty soon, anywhere or anyway, yeah, yeah, I should yeah, say. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. that's probably, you know, it's the right thing to do now. She has really run her course, albeit that she has absolutely done her best. I mean, there's no way I would—I would not give her praise. She has had a very, very difficult job. She's lasted it. She's stuck it out, and it's lasted a long time. Um, I think she was, from the early outset negotiations, we always felt that this would come down to the wire, that there was no possibility and no point in having other negotiations going on about possibilities, because at the end of the day, we now see the result. All of the things that were laid on the table were rejected in some shape or form.
0: So you're buying into that other headline we were talking about this morning. It's the end of May. May 25th <laughs> at uh, the end which, of which May I suppose Yeah, yeah. The, the end of yeah. May uh, at May uh, 25th uh, when uh, they'll leave under her deal. All right. Well I uh,
8: think I think fundamentally she had always put herself in that position that once she had taken the deal over the line she was going to go anyway.
0: Okay, listen, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning Verona Murphy president of the Irish Road Haulage Association. Michael,
4: Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM.
0: Housing and homelessness may have been overshadowed in recent times, uh, but the issues are very much back on the agenda today. As you've been hearing, rents have increased by 6.9% in the course of the last year. Navan and Limerick City East have been designated residential tenancies, uh, te- pardon, RTBs, uh, these uh, zones uh, which uh, prohibit uh, rents increasing by more than 4%. Uh, and the homelessness figures uh, have uh, exceeded the 10,000 mark. Uh, We've been hearing that for some time, but the official figures now indicate that some 10,264 people are homeless in this country. That includes 3,784 children. On top of that, the Dáil will debate an amendment to the Residential Tenancies Act, uh, which is being brought forward by Sinn Féin. Its spokesperson on housing, Ono Brin, is on the line, and uh, very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, this uh, is a bill which you hope will protect tenants from being evicted. Tell us more, please.
1: Well, uh, the single largest cause of family homelessness at present uh, are vacant possession notices to quit. We have a lot of landlords uh, either under pressure from banks or, or now that they're no longer in negative equity with their rental properties selling up and leaving the market uh, and are issuing vacant possession notices to quit. Three years ago, Focus Ireland, the homeless charity, published what was commonly now known as the Focus Ireland Amendment, which basically said if you're a buy-to-let landlord who benefited from a tax break during the boom when you bought the property, you shouldn't be allowed to issue a vacant possession notice to quit if you want to sell. Of course, you can sell the property, but you should sell it with the, the tenant in situ. Uh, myself and a number of opposition uh, uh, TDs tabled that piece of legislation back in 2016, and both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voted it down. Uh, Our view at the time was, if it had been passed, many hundreds of families who went on to become homeless uh, wouldn't have uh, uh, ended up in that terrible situation. So given the fact that the crisis has continued to get worse, uh, as you've just outlined, Mm -hmm. we've resubmitted that for for debate and vote later on today. And I suppose what we're saying to people is this – Uh, 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 it's time for political parties in the Dáil to decide uh, on whose side they stand. Are they standing with uh, families with children who are being forced into homelessness or are they standing with uh, 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 landlords and in many cases, in fact, banks uh, who are looking to get uh, financial gain, having already benefited from tax breaks uh, back during the boom. And we think uh, people should do the right thing and support the Focus Ireland Amendment.
0: And. Will it be possible to sell property if, uh, if the tenant can't be moved out?
1: Yes, but what is, is more likely to happen is that that property would be bought by another landlord. I mean, if you think about it, if you're a commercial landlord and you rent property to a business... Uh, and then you decide to sell that property. You sell that property with a business in it and another commercial property owner purchases it. And, you know, uh, your your local cafe or your local shop or your, your mechanic yeah. continues trading. In, in many other European countries, a similar condition applies to rental properties. Uh, I suppose what we're saying is, is the category we're focusing on particularly is landlords who already benefited from a tax break from the taxpayer uh, back during the boom. Uh, that those people now need to give something back and it may result in in them selling their property at a a slightly lower price but given the fact that the bulk of these landlords are are looking to sell uh, in order to repay a debt to a bank uh, Well you can only uh, sell to a potential landlord well, we think it, we think it will increase the likelihood of landlords buying. Obviously, anybody can buy the property, uh, but we think uh, if the tenant is in situ, it'll mean more of these properties will remain in the rental market because other landlords will purchase them.
0: Because they'll be able to haggle and buy it at a discounted price.
1: Well, it's not so much at a discounted price. What what some people will claim is that if if particularly in the in the high demand areas for first time mm. buyers if you're selling a property vacant, you, you get a, a slightly increased uh, price for it. And that depends on, on the region. But the crucial point is this. Uh, we now have 3,784 children sleeping in emergency accommodation. Uh, that's an increase of 490%. And when Fine, Fine Gael took office back in 2011, uh, a, a vacant possession notice to quit are driving this family homelessness crisis. So we think this is a, a measure, an emergency measure that's mm. needed now. But it will While devalue
0: the, property, won't it? I, I mean, if you're trying to sell a property uh, and you take away a huge potential market uh, and leave just landlords available to buy that property you are devaluing the property
1: well of course if a child spends two or three years in emergency accommodation uh, that's two or three years of their childhood uh, and their social and emotional development that's taken from them so if you're asking me to make a choice between reducing the number of children who are having years of their childhood and their development stolen from them or uh, reducing the amount of profit that a buy to let landlord, in many cases a bank, is going to get. I'm sorry, but I'm going to side with and, the rights of the child. And, and you and,
0: believe it has to be either or, do you?
1: In the current climate, it absolutely does. I mean, if you if you talk to the frontline uh, homeless charities, they're telling us that 50, 60, in some cases 70% of homeless family presentations hmm. are, are coming as a result of vacant possession notices to quit. And again, I want to stress... The landlords we're talking about already got a tax break back in in the height of the boom. They already got a cash transfer from the taxpayer. Mm. Given the depth of the crisis and given the huge impact that family homelessness has on children and so many children, we think this is a reasonable emergency.
0: Okay, but but let's not forget that if you devalue the properties, uh, you're giving an advantage or a reward, if you like, to potential purchasers uh, who have to be landlords in this circumstance and it acts as a disadvantage and a penalty if you like to first-time buyers who might want to start a family or people who might want to move home so that their children can be closer to schools or whatever the case may be.
1: And again all I would say is this, the worst penalty of all is to force more and more children into emergency accommodation. Uh, So you're absolutely right, there are first-time buyers out there desperate to get on the property ladder. There are people trying to rent, there are people trying to get closer to work, etc. And, and all of those people need to have their needs met. But the most extreme need at present, in the context of what we're talking about, is families who today have notices to quit in their hand and next week or the week after or the week after are facing homelessness and months, in some cases years, in cramped B&B and emergency accommodation. Many of these are working families, people with increasingly decent jobs, Uh, but they'll be rendered homeless. So we have to decide now in this homelessness emergency what is the greatest priority and again what I say is I think very reasonable let's stop pushing more and more children into homelessness if they're living in a rental property and the landlord under pressure from the banks is going to sell let them sell the property with the tenant in situ uh, and we expect that a large number of those properties not all of them but a large number of those properties would be purchased uh, by by other landlords that's what happens in the commercial sector Uh, it's what should happen particularly given the crisis of family homelessness in the uh, uh, private
0: rental sector. Right, and you've just stepped out of a a meeting of uh, the Housing Committee, uh, which has been talking about urban regeneration. I'm sure some of the headlines uh, that we've been hearing this morning has been feeding into the debate. Uh, What have people been saying, uh, in particular about uh, this figure that has now exceeded 10,000, the list of uh, people who are considered to be homeless in this country?
1: Yeah, and... Look, there, there, there's, there's a, a, a huge amount of anger and frustration, um, uh, particularly, I suppose, among opposition politicians and NGOs and, and, and policy experts who have been warning of this for some years and offering the government all sorts of policy alternatives, which the government keep ignoring. Um, uh, today, we're, we're more specifically focused on uh, how to unlock uh, land that private developers and many government agencies have been hoarding for some years to increase the supply of social, affordable and private for purchase homes and to bring down the price. We have huge tracts of land all over the country, uh, which people are sitting on, and they're sitting on allowing the, the, the values of that property to increase Uh, that's slowing the delivery of much-needed homes and it's increasing the price of those homes uh, when they're eventually delivered. And uh, Independent Deputy Mick Wallace uh, has a bill, which we're considering in detailed uh, scrutiny today, which is to make the vacant uh, uh, site tax much, much more punitive, not because we want to raise money, but we want to force uh, uh, landowners, including state
0: agencies. Mm. Does, it, that, it does just, that explain a, a story that's uh, making front page news today of, of how €370,000 was spent building each of the six houses on, on a site in <coughs> Tipperary when you could buy them locally for half that price?
1: Yeah, you see, what, what, one of the issues in, in house prices, uh, and this also affects social housing through the Part 5 and the private developments, is the price of land. And increasingly, uh, financial investors and, and uh, 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 other lenders are investing in land because they see it as a secure long-term asset and they see it as something that the price will always rise. The consequence of that kind of speculative investment is it's driving land prices up and that's adding to the, the cost of the house. So. To build a house today in Dublin, a good quality three-bedroom, semi-detached house will, will cost about 150,000. Mm. But the cost of purchasing that house is 350 to 400,000. And after the bricks and mortar, the next biggest price is the land, and the land can cost per, per housing unit between 60 and 200,000 euros. Mm. I mean, there's a piece of land that was sold, public land uh, belonging to RTE in Montrose, uh, uh, was sold off to uh, um, uh, private developers. Uh, and the unit cost of the land per apartment that you'll get on that site is Uh, €200,000. Now, of course... The argument is that that land shouldn't have been sold in the private sector. Mm-hmm. It's public land. It should have been used for some other purpose. But but increasing speculation in land and hoarding of land is driving up prices. Uh, and the biggest losers are actually some of the people we were talking about a moment ago, okay. working families looking to buy our rent and simply being priced out and of the market.
0: F- feeding into not just affecting problems. Dublin, okay.
1: affecting the commuter belt, including some of uh, the listeners okay. in your counties.
0: I'm over time. I have to leave there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on housing, Ono oh Brain brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll be for our next program tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
3: The
4: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie